0: Of prayer Heavenly Father as we turn to reflect together on your word we realise what a solemn thing this is even as we listen to these words as we've read them together they humble us we recognise that crucial eternal issues are involved here we want to know the truth We want to follow what is true. We want to avoid being misled. We recognize the enormous significance of what the Apostle is saying to us here. That there are spirits at work in the world that are attractive and convincing and seductive, but can lead us down a path that will destroy us we pray that you will be merciful to us, that we might have grace and wisdom and understanding and that as we reflect together this evening on these words, we may be helped and may be able to recognise that it is Christ and Christ alone who can lead us out of darkness and into light, out of death and into life. And we pray that that process may take place in our lives even as we are together here this evening. So hear our prayer. Be with us now. Guide us as we reflect on these verses and grant your blessing to each one of us as we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The passage that I just read to you is a passage that is concerned with discernment it talks about identifying the ways in which it is possible to discern the difference between truth and error between spirits that would seem to be plausible but can only lead us to disaster and the spirit who leads us to Christ and brings us life it's I think a a passage that is particularly relevant at the beginning of the 21st century in the society of the western world perhaps in some ways it seems to be more relevant to us now than it might have done say 50 or 60 years ago in the western world Uh, if we went back that far there would have still been a very widespread influence of the Christian faith and the Christian message throughout the culture of the West but at this time as as all of us are aware we live in a very different society we live in a society which is pluralist in which there are many possible options that are open to us we may choose to believe or not to believe we may choose from a whole variety of religious possibilities and almost all of us today come into contact with those other possibilities and with people who bring to us, bring to our awareness the existence of other faiths. Um, There's just a little video clip which um, I'm very grateful to the technicians for identifying on the BBC earlier in this week and many of you will recognise it as they play it to us now. I said it was a brief one um, you will recognise it as the filler that comes between BBC programmes the old uh, filler that was used of a a globe that floated across the sky has now been replaced by these various sequences of dance in different situations Uh, I don't know about you but it, it seems to me that it illustrates very well the change that has come in our culture that when the BBC wants to identify something that everybody can recognise and everybody can be comfortable with we have Tai Chi in the Scottish Highlands Um, it would have seemed to me that if it was to be really authentic something like uh, a, a Gaelic congregation singing the Psalms in the Highlands might have been truer to the tradition of the north of Scotland but here's the change that has come Instead of that, we now have something that represents a faith which is not indigenous to the British Isles, but we are reminded of the fact that we live in this society that is multicultural and multi-faith, and it illustrates very well the shift to which I am referring. Now, it seems to me that, that in a world like this, that makes the question that is being dealt with in this text all the more urgent. How can we know who it is who is speaking the truth? Dear friends, the Apostle says, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets are gone out into the world. And what he's asking, and he's asking it in a pluralist context, because the context of the early Christians' like that one in which we find ourselves today, was clearly pluralist. So the situation that we face at the present time is not unprecedented. It's not, in one sense, unusual. In fact, you might argue, if you take the New Testament seriously, that it's the normal situation for Christians to find themselves in. Many of us grew up on the assumption that this was a Christian country, and we had very little contact with people of other faiths. And I suppose for many, many hundreds of years, Christians in Europe have imagined that that's the normal context in which Christianity exists. But of course it wasn't. In many ways it was a distorted context. The normal situation, the New Testament situation, is one in which there are many possibilities and there are all kinds of choices that are available. And as as John expresses it, many spirits have gone out into the world. And so when we go back to the New Testament now, in our contemporary pluralist situation, we find that there is guidance and direction that answers the questions that arise in this new world in which we find ourselves. John stopped writing on this passage puts it like this. He says, John's readers were tending to accept uncritically all teaching which seemed to be given under inspiration. In other words, if there was a claim that somebody had been inspired by a spirit, if it was teaching that seemed to be spiritual, they were being attracted to it. And John has to provide for them guidance. He has to provide some criteria on the basis of which it is possible to say, this is actually true, but this is false. It's a difficult thing to do, this, particularly in a postmodern society like ours, where that kind of statement tends to be regarded as offensive. But that's what the apostle is doing. And he's saying that there are certain tests that can be applied when there is a claim that someone is speaking under the inspiration of a spirit, they have a revelation of the truth and they claim to be able to guide and to direct the lives of other people. These tests must be applied by which we can know whether what is being said is true or false. Seems to me that this is significant for us in all sorts of ways. I think it's significant for those of us who are Christians, who are aware of the decline of Christianity in the Western world and as we are conscious of the growing crisis that faces the church in the United Kingdom, we are tempted by all kinds of options to try to turn things around and there's a great danger that if someone comes and they seem to be speaking by inspiration and they seem to have the answer we will seize upon that in a way that is sometimes lacking in wisdom and we don't apply the apostolic tests to ask the question is this really true to the fundamentals of the gospel or is it rather attractive but leading us away from what really matters most. So how can we discover what is really true? What's the test that John gives to us in this fourth chapter of his first letter? Well it's remarkably simple on the face of it. He says in verse 2, this is how you can recognise the spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God but every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God and in a sense that's, that's disappointing because it's so obvious when we read it at first we think well, well surely we must have a test that, that, that is more detailed than that we might hope for something that is perhaps deeper in its theology more complex in its reasoning. But John says, no, no, here is the test. Actually, it is very simple. Does the Spirit confess that Jesus has come in the flesh, or does it not? In other words, is it true to what really matters most? Does it confess the reality of the Incarnation? I think that it's very challenging that the test should be given to us in a way that is so brief and so simple. Very often down the ages Christians have wanted to apply all sorts of other tests and they've added different levels and different layers in order to discover whether a spirit was really speaking the truth. Presbyterians have the Westminster Confession and it's a very detailed statement of faith. It says many things that are helpful and true but it goes well beyond this statement of the Apostle John. Anglicans have 39 articles of faith and they say things that are very true and very significant and very important but they go well beyond this straightforward statement of the Apostle John other Christians have added all sorts of things that they demand you believe before you can be accepted as one who is truly following Jesus Christ it may be a pre-tribulationist rapture, it may be a whole list of things to which you are expected to ascribe your confession of faith but it goes well beyond this clear, simple statement of the Apostle John every spirit that acknowledges Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God what it seems to me the Apostle is saying here is this there are many things that are important but there is one thing that is supremely important it is possible to say all kinds of things about Christ and the Gospel and Christianity. But if we ask the question, what is absolutely essential? What is the minimal confession of faith? It's here in this statement. It's the confession that in Jesus Christ, God has come to dwell among us. God has come in human flesh, in human form, In Jesus God has really dwelt among us and in the person of Jesus Christ we have therefore all we need to know. This, John says, is what matters most. This is what is absolutely fundamental. Not a list of beliefs about Christ but Christ the incarnate Son of God and that must be our focus. And there is our test. Is Christ absolutely central? In any movement, in any person that claims to be spiritually inspired, does it lead us to the very heart of the Gospel in the confession of the incarnate Christ? That is indispensable to the Gospel. Having said that, let me hasten to add that if this statement seems to be brief and simple, we should not confuse brevity with superficiality. Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. A brief statement, but it's certainly not superficial. Every aspect of it will take eternity to unravel. It points to the pre-existence of Jesus Christ. He has come in the flesh. Who is this man, Jesus? It opens up all kinds of possibilities concerning the pre-existence of the Son of God. It places Jesus at the very centre of the Christian faith. And it focuses on the redemption both of human beings and also of creation. He has come in the flesh. He's not a pretend human being. He's not an appearance, a phantom. God took human flesh. Human flesh, that which is created, the creation is the object of God's love and mercy and His redemptive grace. And so there are subjects here that will will exhaust the most profound and devout of minds in all the ages and to all eternity. And then notice that John says that this has to be in the NIV acknowledged. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. I'm not sure that the word should perhaps not rather be translated confessed. It's not just a matter of a bare acknowledgement. But if we once see who Jesus is, this requires to be confessed. When the time comes where you recognise that this is really true, it becomes something that transforms the whole of your life. Once you discover that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh from the Father and you make that confession, it is not something that can be marginal or additional to other things in your life. It becomes foundational and central to everything that you are. It is a life-transforming faith. And this, John says, is the test for those spirits that are abroad in the world. Is is this what they confess? Those who come, as it were, on the fringes of the church and and would seek to offer solutions to the crisis of contemporary Christianity. Here's the basic question that has to be asked of them. Do they really make the incarnate Christ utterly central? Of course, this is not the only test. If you look back at chapter 2 and verse 6, there's an ethical test that comes alongside this one. Chapter 2 and verse 5, if anyone obeys his word, God's love is truly made complete in him. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus did which of course is where the Gospels are so important because they tell us something of the life of that incarnate Christ. They show us not only God become man and therefore reveal the nature of God to us they show us what it is to be human and in Jesus we see what we were meant to be. We discover a true humanism. I think this is something that it's very important to stress in the context of our modern world. For the last uh, 200 years people have believed that you could dispense with God and once you had eliminated God then you would discover how to be truly human. Get rid of the Father and man would come of age. And we imagine for 200 years in our western culture that we have a true humanism because we've broken the shackles of religion. The truth is otherwise. And we find ourselves now in a world where we're no longer sure what it is to be human. And having abandoned the Father, we wonder who we are. And the great thing about the Gospel is that it not only points the way to God, but in discovering the Father through Christ, we discover who and what we are. And as Christians, I think we have a a huge responsibility to live full human lives in the context of a suffering and a broken world. That people, as they look at those who follow Christ and walk as Jesus did in a world that is loveless and suffering in all kinds of ways, Can discover that in Christ we find the way to be fully and truly human this brings me to the last thing that I want to point out to you this evening from this text and it's the conviction in the second half of this paragraph that those who belong to the little flock of Christ are indwelt by the Spirit of God verse 4 You, dear children, are from God and have overcome them because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. The assumption in this passage is that believers remain relatively few. Those who follow the other spirits are far greater in number. So again we find that what what we read in the New Testament resonates with our situation in a post-Christian secular society and in this situation there are all kinds of temptations we can become easily discouraged and we can easily be led into ways that actually involve the compromise of the truth of the gospel and the apostle reminds these Christians few, relatively few in number as they are in a hostile world that they are indwelt by the spirit and that therefore they're not just to play the numbers game, because greater is he who is in them than he who is in the world. They possess, and those of us here who know what it is to confess Jesus Christ as Lord, possess an inestimable treasure. A number of weeks ago I was listening to a discussion on the radio it was um, an interview with a a woman whose mother was being threatened with imprisonment because she had failed to send her daughter to school you may remember the case some some few months back and uh, the law was being invoked against this family because the daughter was a persistent and, and, and constant truant and was, was causing all sorts of difficulties and the interviewer was talking to the other daughter about her sister and her mother and interviewing her in what I felt was an extremely hostile manner as though this was a degenerate and, and utterly hopeless and socially irresponsible family and as I listened I heard this lady say with great dignity but you don't know my mother and you don't know my sister I know my mother and my sister and my family and I know the circumstances in which we've come into this crisis and I know the pressures that are coming upon our family because of this media focus on the difficulties that we are encountering she knew her mother. She knew her sister. She really understood the situation. I think that John is using the word know in that kind of way. Believers in Jesus really know the incarnate Lord and that is why they confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh And however difficult the times, however hard it may be to confess Christ in a world like this, they know that He is the truth and they know that they are blessed with an inestimable blessing in knowing Jesus Christ who has come from God. God granted all of us in a pluralist world, an uncertain world, may humbly, faithfully and joyfully confess Jesus Christ as Lord. Amen.